Lost the handle. Chalmers for the tie. Got it! It's two seconds. Unbelievable. Dozier at midcourt for the championship. No, we're going to overtime. This episode of the High Motor Podcast, Andrew Dowdy here. Thanks for coming. This particular episode of the High Motor Podcast is going to be like 98% NFL draft, but it is March. I'm going to play those buzzer beaters in the open. Throughout March Madness, like I've been doing the last few weeks, just because they're awesome. It is going to be almost entirely the NFL draft here. On that note, before we get humming with draft stuff and this Todd McShay teleconference here, one thing on turning resumes, some public service so you can do your own resume measuring on Sunday night during the selection show, because I tweet quite a bit about resumes, about quadrants, team sheets, metrics, all that stuff, and I'll get some questions back. You know, what is a quadrant one win? Uh, can wins move in and out of quadrants? You know, what does Seton Hall's team sheet look like? Things like that. And all of you that are listening, you can see all that stuff that I'm seeing if you would like. It's not restricted to media. You don't need media access or anything. So starting mid-December of this this season, the NCAA updates two different tournament resume documents daily. The team sheets and the nitty-gritty. And I'm not going to explain each of those documents because they're pretty self-explanatory once you actually see them, if you haven't seen them. But still, at a Dowdy 88 if, if you're confused by something on them, I'm happy to answer the questions. But those documents are updated every single morning. I think they're updated by like 9 or 10 Eastern time. Just go to Google, type in Team Sheets. It's that first result there. And then looking at that page, there's some info on that page if you want it about those documents. And about two-thirds of the way down that page... It says download team sheets. And from there, you can figure out how to get both those documents downloaded daily. Those are there for you. I think that it might make a more fun selection Sunday if you know the metrics, if you know the quadrant records, all of that. So this Sunday, Selection Sunday, right after the show, uh, we're going to do an, an episode of High Motor, breaking down some things. And then again, probably on Tuesday, talking specific games, odds, best bets with Chase Kitty. But in the meantime... Go check out those team, sheet, team sheets and metrics and nitty-gritty and all that stuff. I think it'll make Selection Sunday a lot more fun. But again, please shoot me questions at adowdy 88 if you're still confused by that. Thanks for coming to this episode, which is sponsored by Podcorn, which we just started using a couple of weeks ago. It's been awesome. I mentioned it on the show a couple of weeks back. So if you have a podcast, you know someone with a podcast, check it out, podcorn.com. It's an easy, fast way to get advertising dollars for your podcast without being at the mercy of a middleman that controls kind of what you get, how much you get. So with Podcorn, they find the fits for you. You make that proposal with your terms without giving up any ownership of your pod. The pod remains entirely yours with an easy, steady revenue stream. Just click that link. I'm going to put it again in the high motor show notes for today. And you can start looking at those sponsorship opportunities for your podcast. All right, the 2020 NFL Draft creeping up here in, what, five, six weeks. And like I did a few weeks ago, when ESPN, they gave me permission to share that Mel Kuyper Jr. teleconference in its entirety. Got some positive feedback from that. So I have another one. We're going to do it again here. This one with Todd McShay. And again, big thanks to ESPN's Allie Stoneberg for letting me play this in its entirety, and on this teleconference, it's about 35, 40 minutes long. He talks about you know like the chances of a team trading up to number two to get Tua if Washington doesn't want him, and then Chase Young falls a three. He puts odds on that. He talks about 
DeAndre Swift. He talks about some second-tier quarterback stuff like Cole McDonald, more receiver stuff, Justin Jefferson, LaVisca Chenault's kind of precarious situation. So I'm going to play that call in its entirety. And then again, like I said, I'll be back right after the selection show on Sunday for a bracket pod. Thanks for coming this week. Let me know what you think of this Todd McShay call on Twitter at High Motor Pod. Give me some feedback on this. Let me know if you want me to keep doing it in the future. Enjoy this call. If you're a team uh, in the, let's just say, bottom five picks in the first round, uh, and you're looking for a pass rusher, who are some of the maybe the top candidates as far as pass rushers do you see available down that area? I mean, it depends on the defensive tackles, if, if you're including that in, in the group. I think Russ, or Russ uh, Blacklock, the defensive tackle from TCU, could be a possibility. Um, A.J. Epinesa, the defensive end from Iowa, is, is probably going to be in that range. He didn't have a great workout at the Combine. I kind of knew that going in. He's just, he's a better football player than Tester. Um, really good with his hands, strong, physical. Uh, reminds me a little bit of like Trey Flowers, the, 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 the defensive lineman who was coming out of Arkansas. He's just like that physical player who can move around a little bit and do different things. So, um, he would be, I think in that range is my guess. Uh, you tore Gross Matos, uh, Gross Matos, the defensive end from Penn State. Is another end that we've kind of projected in that later first round range, and he's he's productive, he's he's quick, he's athletic, and so those are a few of the guys I think could be somewhere in that range. But this year's defensive end group, even though you've got Chase Young at the top and you've got a couple of really good interior defensive linemen, the end group kind of drops off after the first three or four. So after you tore uh, Gross Matos. It, it's a little bit of a dip, and, and I think you're probably looking later in the second round before you, you get an end that you're excited about. My question is about the Browns at 10 and the tackle landscape. I know you had Wills going to them. My question really is about, like, what if they sign a you know a veteran right tackle in free agency and they really need you know a left tackle at 10? I, I want to know from you, what do you think the keys are to – evaluating whether a guy can play left tackle when he's mostly played on the right side in college? Well, it, it absolutely varies, and it's a great question, because not every right tackle can move and flip to the left side. Some guys have no problem with it. And it's really all about that your pass set and whether you're comfortable kicking back with your left leg, right leg, or it doesn't, it doesn't matter to you. Some guys – I've seen some guys who just can't transition. Some guys love being on the perimeter. Some guys love being in the interior. Um, the, what I will say, and I'm not a hundred percent sure about Chedrick Wills from Alabama being able to kick to the left side, but what I do know in talking to Nick Saban is that he thinks he's versatile enough to, to do multiple things. And I, I trust Nick. And then secondly, everyone looks at Wills and says, he's, he's a right tackle. Why are we taking a right tackle in the top 10? Well, don't forget our quarterback, Tua Tungabailoa, is a lefty. So he was protecting the blind side. So it's not a, a matter of whether he can protect a blind side. It's, you know, if he is smooth in his pass protection um, on the left-handed side versus on the right side. But if it's not Wills, Mekhi Becton is an absolute physical freak coming out of Louisville. 
364 pounds. He ran, a, I think it was a 5-1-1 40-yard dash. Tristan Wirfs had one of the best combines you'll ever see from an offensive lineman. Set records in the vertical jump and the broad jump. Uh, he's another guy who's got good size. He's not a finisher yet, but he's technically sound. He's really good in his own uh, zone blocking scheme and, and is really strong in pass protection as well. So those, in my opinion, are the top three guys, and I had them all going in the top ten. Beckton going to Arizona at eight, Worfs nine, Jacksonville, uh, Wills ten to Cleveland, and then there's you know there's some depth too. Josh Jones from Houston I had going later in the first round. Austin Jackson from USC has a lot of talent. He's not ready yet, uh, but he, you know in the next couple of years, Andrew Thomas. I just had a GM in the league say that I was too low on him. I had the Georgia offensive tackle Thomas going 29 to the Titans. So you know, there are differing opinions on these guys. But there are five to six offensive tackles that I think belong in the probably the top 40 in this year's class. Sort of piggybacking off that, Todd, with the Jets at 11, uh, can you just talk about the decision they could possibly face with drafting a fourth offensive lineman or a guy like Judy like you had in the mock today? And do you now consider Thomas and Jones a notch below those other three guys at tackle? Beckton's just, again, he's a physical freak. Some of his tape is, can be a little bit up and down. Worfs, again, I'm going to repeat myself, but Worfs doesn't dominate and doesn't finish like what you would think of an Iowa offensive lineman over the years. Like Brandon Scherf comes to mind, uh, but but he's technically sound just like the rest of them. And the, the Ferences do a great job of developing offensive linemen, obviously. Uh, and, and you look at the numbers and what his potential is as he continues to develop. And then there's Wills, who uh, I thought had a, a sensational year for for Alabama. So I, I think there's a little bit of a drop-off. Again, I have those three guys going 8, 9, 10, but that doesn't mean that they're going to wind up going 8, 9, 10. Easily one or two of those guys could be on the board. Now all of a sudden Joe Douglas has got a tough decision to make with the Jets if, you know, Jerry Judy off the board or, you know, and, and if he is, then it is, is it C.D. Lamb, the Oklahoma wide receiver, or is it one of these offensive linemen? Henry Ruggs has gotten a lot of love after he ran the 4-2-7, and he's, he loves the game. He's so good in, in the room. He's so good on special teams. He does all the little things you wouldn't expect a 4-2-7 wide receiver to do, and he had one drop pass the entire year last year. So there's a ton of wide receiver talent, and there's, there's really good first round, early second round depth at offensive tackle. And, and clearly those are a couple of the positions that the Jets could be looking. Give me your thoughts on DeAndre Swift from Georgia and where you think he'll go and Alex Taylor from South Carolina State and where do you think he'll go? Give me your thoughts on that. Swift is explosive, man. I, you know, they've had so many good bats come out of Georgia. I don't, he, I'm not saying he's the best, but he, to me, is better than the recent first, second rounders. He can catch the ball. He's got great vision, and he does everything at full speed is what I love. You know, whether it's transitioning from after catch to getting up the field, uh, re- you know, reading his blocks, reading the linebacker, making that cutback, he's he's explosive. Right? This is a really good running back class, and everyone's talking about the receivers because, you know, a lot of people have six to seven in the first round, which would be – if it's seven, it would be the most wide receiver since 2004. But the running back group, even though we might only have one in the first round with Swift, in my opinion, J.K. Dobbins from Ohio State is a stud. Jonathan Taylor is the only running back in FBS history to rush for 1,900-plus yards 
in three consecutive years. Um, Clyde Edward Delaire, even though he didn't have a great 40 time, is a darn good football player who can play in the slot. You can move him out wide. He does all the little things. And if you ask Joe Burrow who the best player that he's ever played with, and that includes Ohio State and LSU, and you think about all the players, I, there might have been 25 players from LSU and Ohio State in this year's combine, right around there. He said that Edward Delaire is the best player he's ever played with. So it gives you a feel for what kind of talent he is. So this year's groups are really good, but my point is that Swift is just a notch above those guys because he's so complete, he will protect, and he's so explosive. And uh, you can just see it. It's easy to see on tape. Yeah, Todd, I know you've got uh, Worst going to the Jags at uh, number nine. What else did you consider there, and how do their options look? How good are their options at number nine? If you're looking for an offensive lineman, you, you're going to have options there, I think. I think defensive line was was another spot that I was looking. Derek Brown, if he's somehow available, even you know, you can argue what what you what the need is going to be, but Derek Brown to me, I would I would actually say that it goes Chase Young, the defensive end from Ohio State, Derek Brown two. Jeff Okuda, three, Isaiah Simmons, the Clemson linebacker, four, if you're just ranking the best defensive prospects in this draft. So Derek Brown would, would be another option. Chase Young won't be there. Um, Isaiah Simmons possibly could, only because the quarterbacks always get pushed up, um, and there could be some movement. But, you know, if you get one of these offensive tackles, you get a, a, a weapon at receiver, you get a defensive front seven guy, I think Jacksonville would be would be happy with any of those. I like quarterback Cole McDonald. Uh, how much he might have helped himself with that four, five, eight in the combine, and uh, where you see him going, and has he has the perception of him been hurt by the way Hawaii brought his backup off the bench several times this year? Um, I wouldn't say that. I actually I, I I like his game. I think he's got a longer delivery, and I I talked to Jordan Palmer, who's been working with him, and and they're working on tightening it up. On tape, it's very obvious that, you know, he's on his toes and it takes, takes a split second longer than you'd like to see to get the ball out. But I think he has a lot to work with. And I, you know, 40 yard dashes for quarterbacks don't mean a whole lot, in my opinion, if you go back and really look at it. But when you're running that speed, it shows you that there are options there in terms of the mobility, maybe some zone read aspects of playing the next level. Uh, as NFL teams continue to evolve, if you will, <laughs> become more like the college spreads. Um, and, and I think there's something there. I, I'm just looking at my rankings now. I've got Burrow and then Tua Tungavailoa, then just, uh, Jordan Love, Justin Herbert. And then after that, the sec- second or third tier, however you want to look at it, is Jake Fromm, Jacob, East, uh, Jacob, Stan, uh, Jacob Eason, then Nate Stanley, Anthony Gordon, Jalen Hurts. And then when you get to that day three, range, I think McDonald's going to be an interesting pick. And if he winds up in the right spot, he might might be a really good backup in the league who could, you never know, come in and, and start and win some games for a team. But I like McDonald. I, I think he, he has potential. And I would take him over some other bigger-name quarterbacks like Shea Patterson from Michigan. Um, there's other names. I don't need to get into it. But I, I, I like McDonald, and I think he could be a real value pick in that fifth, sixth-round range. I'm curious what you think of LaVisca Cheneau. Um, You know, he's going to have surgery now, <clears throat> probably something he should have had back in December. 
But how, yeah. how do you think um, his, his inability to showcase his speed and his skill set at the combine combined with this late surgery, what do you think that does to him and how does that affect, uh, you know, his value? I'll say this. I think, I think it speaks to how competitive he is and how willing he is to go out and, and show what he can do. And that, that's the guy that when you talk to coaches on that staff that, that have been with him, that's, that's what they know about him is that he'll, he'll do anything. You put me on reverse, fine. Put me in the backfield, great. Put me in the slot, put me out at X, put me at Y, Z, wherever you want me, coach, I'll, I'll go and I'll compete. And I think sometimes, and we see it with a lot of players, what, what makes you great also can be your demise sometimes. And I think because all these guys are so competitive and especially a player like Chenault, um, they, they want to go out and prove that they can do it and they think that they're invincible. And we all did when we were 21, 22, 23 years old, but it sometimes catches up with you. So I think it's a minor setback. I really do. You, you, there's so much tape of him. There's so much versatility to his game that I don't think it's going to affect him greatly. I mean, I thought he was a second-round pick coming into the combine, and I still will – I'll be surprised if, if we get there and start the third round on Friday night and, and if he's still on the board. So I, I really don't think it's going to affect him a whole, a whole bunch. And I, I really like him as a player. And I think what you're trying to do in the league today and have multiple pieces and, and be able to create some personnel mismatches without substituting players on and off the field so that you can run tempo – I think that he fits really well. LSU, uh, Justin Jefferson, how did his performance at the Combine change him, in your opinion, from a 30th pick to a 21st? I'm sure his 40 had something to do with it. And who else at LSU benefited the most coming out of the Combine? Yeah, I mean, that speed, it wasn't a huge difference. But I would, if I had to guess, I would have guessed like four, five, three, four, five, five that range. And so to be able to, to see that he, he has that speed in him, um, it changes things. I mean, corner and wide receiver are really the only two positions or the, the two positions that change. I think the 40 can change the most in terms of draft value. Um, you got to be able to run on the perimeter. And yeah, there, there have been some outliers, but typically you've got to have some speed. And the average is, I think, four five four over the last five years. But to know that he's in that sub four four five range, uh, it it helps. It, it absolutely helps. And uh, I I just love him on contested catches. That's that's where he's at his best. And so to know that he has the speed to create after the catch and and to get down the field, but then also having the tape to back up what he's able to do when the ball is in the air. I just, you know, I think he's a really good player. I think he's one of the more underrated receivers in what is shaping up to be one of the best wide receiver groups we've seen in a couple of decades. Um, you know, Joe Burrow didn't work out. Caleb on Chasen, Grant Delpit, Edward Zelaire I talked about earlier. He didn't, you know, he didn't run the great 40 time, but his, his tape speaks to what he is as a, uh, as a player. So they have so many, they have so many guys there and, Clearly, they're you know, as a national championship team. They, they've got a lot of talent, but I think it starts with Queen and Burrow, and then I, Jefferson. I think cemented himself as a, a first-round pick as well. 
Hey Todd, when uh, when this thing is all said and done and it shakes out, what uh, what are the chances you think of a team trading up to two for Tua and the Lions getting Chase Young at number three? <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen. I would say there's, I don't know, if you're looking for a percentage, ten to fifteen percent chance of it happening. Yeah, I just I I think Washington really loves Chase Young. I think Daniel Snyder loves Haskins, and that was very apparent last year. And um, and I think it just seems to me from everything I've heard, all the information I've gotten, that Chase Young, if Burrow goes one, it's going to be Chase Young at two for the Redskins. And then the draft kind of starts at three, if you will, you know, in terms of some possible movement and all of that. So I, I just I don't see Detroit getting him at, at three. It would really surprise me. Uh, I think at that point, if you're Detroit – or do you want a quarterback, or are you looking on the defensive side? Jeff Okuda from Ohio State, the cornerback, is a possibility. Um, Derek Brown is worth the pick. I don't know that that's where they want to go. Isaiah Simmons is worth the pick as a linebacker with versatility. But I think three with the Lions and four with the Giants is where the movement could very possibly start in order for a team to go up and get to a tongue of Iowa. Hey, Todd, with the Buffalo Bills having the second, 22nd pick and the wide receiver class just being so deep this year, several mocks have the Bills choosing a wide receiver. What did you learn about some of those wideouts in the combine that you didn't know before that could possibly be drafted by the, by the Bills with that 22nd pick? Yeah, I think I, I gave T. Higgins from Clemson, who's a 6'4", 220 pounds, somewhere in that range. But, I, you know, I, I could see Brandon Ayuk from Arizona. Uh, Arizona State being a possibility as well. And I could also see any of these teams, not Buffalo specifically, looking at it and saying, you know what, we can get, we can get Ayuk a little bit later. We could get a KJ Hamler from Penn State. We could get uh, LaVisca Chenault, who we we're just talking about from Colorado in the second round. Maybe we should go with a defensive tackle here because that's going to run out quicker and defensive end is going to run out quicker than these wide receivers will. So it'll be interesting to see how the teams from Buffalo 22 to the end of the first round manage the draft in terms of uh, their first few picks and, and how the receivers go. There will be a run on them and it may start a little bit later than people think, but once they start to go, I, I've got 20 wide receivers right now with grades in the first three rounds. So there's, I mean, there's all sorts of talent to be had. And uh, and clearly Buffalo needs needs a weapon. I, Higgins would make sense because he's a guy who can go up at his length and go take the ball away. And with the the amount of time that uh, Josh Allen is able to extend plays, you know those are when the the big plays seem to happen a lot. And uh, and and Higgins could be a guy that could go up and get it. Or if you want an Ayuk who's who average 18 yards per catch, 16 per per punt return, 34 per kick return. He's a playmaker with the ball in his hands, so it's easier to get him the ball in his hands, and he doesn't have to, you know, it doesn't take as long for him to separate sometimes. So there, there are, that's the beauty of this year's receiver class. You can figure out what flavor you want and then go get that guy. You doubled down on uh, Herbert for the Colts, and uh, just kind of wondering, you know, why do you think he's the guy to take over, say, a guy like Javon Kinlaw or maybe one of the receivers like Ruggs or Jefferson or Higgins. And uh, if they do go with Herbert, who do you see them kind of uh, picking up in the 34th pick in that second pick in the second round? We've done such a good job of, of developing that roster in the last couple of years. It's been really impressive. 
uh, Ballard deserves a lot of credit, man. I mean, a lot of credit for what he was able to do with a, a roster, in my opinion, that had really been depleted the previous couple of years. So Herbert could go six to the Chargers, seven to the Panthers. He could go 12 to the to Vegas Raiders. He could go 13 to the Colts, 14 to the Bucks. I mean, there are plenty of suitors. And I, my guess is, as we've seen in most years, uh, there's going to be a lot of movement in the first round to go up and get quarterbacks. So we'll see how it plays out. I like Jordan Love a little bit more than I like Justin Herbert, but I have both guys in the first half of the first round. So obviously I, I think both has, have a chance to be good starters at some point in their career. Um, Herbert's probably a little bit more ready now. I think Love has more upside. Um, but yeah, no, they could go in a different direction. There's no question. They could go in a diff- different direction at 13. I know that, the Brissett, the Ballard, I've been told that Ballard likes, you know, uh, Brissett and thinks that he can be the guy and you just never know. But I think Herbert could be an upgrade at some point. We'll see how it, how it plays out. And then after that, I mean, they, they'll just continue to take best player and that's, that's how they've gotten to where they are over the last couple of years, just completely overhauling that roster. Hey, Todd, uh, over time, what has made the evaluation of Jake Fromm so challenging from your end, and, and where are you currently on that roller coaster? And then also, as far as corners go, where do you see Bryce Hall from Virginia and his possible NFL fit? You know, <laughs> he comes out as a freshman, gets that job because of the injury, doesn't never relinquishes it. They have five stars transferring because, because he's, he just turns into the guy. His first year, his second year, and then this past year, they had no receivers. And I, I'm blanking on the, the guy's name, the, the Miami transfer that was there. He gets injured, and now, now he's thrown to a bunch of freshmen. He's got an offensive line that had three injuries over the course of the season, and so the protection was inconsistent. The receivers were not always where they, were, they should have been. But you go back and you study the tape when he had some better weapons from a year before, and it's a, it's more consistent and it's better than it was this past season. But then you watch him at the combine and his ball's floating and he doesn't have the velocity that almost every other quarterback had. And you can see the physical limitations. So he's a, re, he's a brutal evaluation because I would argue he is as smart football intelligence wise as any quarterback in this class. Okay. And he can pick things up. And you talk to anyone at Georgia about his work ethic and how early he is in, in terms of getting to the building, how late he stays, and the lengths that he went to to have success at Georgia. And you can see how he was able to overcome that lack of, you know, elite physical tools. But then you also watch him throw some of the throws and say, can it, is that going to work in the NFL? That's really the trick, and it's tough to evaluate that because Easton, who he beat out, has a much better arm and the throws vertically are easier. And, you know, and, and all these other quarterbacks too is so natural and the ball just pops out and Burrow can make all the throws. Doesn't have an elite arm, but he, the ball just snaps out quicker. So that's what makes it difficult. I think at the end of the day, he's a day two pick second, third round range. He's going to be a great backup. He's going to be great in the quarterback room. He's going to do all the homework for everybody and then one day, hopefully, he's able to, to develop into a solid starter in the league. But, um, you know, Andy Dalton, I keep hearing the comparison. It's not a perfect one. But in terms of being able to maximize physical tools, I think that's that's kind of where that comparison comes. Uh, Hall from Virginia, that was frustrating to watch because he, you know, he's such a good player. First-round pick on a lot of scouts' 
preseason boards, if you will, you know, how they, they stacked it up. Um, I think he's going to still be a day two pick. Really good guy if you've gotten to know him at all and, and loves the game. And I, I think he'll be just fine. He's just going to need a little bit of time, obviously, to recover from the injury and, and to get right. But once he does, I think he's a starting corner in the league. Todd, uh, relative to where the Patriots are right now and sort of what they've done in the last three, four drafts, how would you rate the level of importance of this draft for them and what might be some best-case scenarios? Well, you tell me. Is Tom Brady coming back? Because we've got a whole different set of problems, if not. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the big, probably the biggest question in the NFL over the next month. If he's not, then where are we at quarterback? Is Andy Dalton, is he going to be – Someone that, that the Patriots entertain as a veteran? Are they going to try to bring in a veteran if, if Brady's gone? Um, Jarrett Stidham came in. You and I have talked about this. And he, he struggled, but there's talent there. You know, he came in, I think it was the Jets for the interception, and they, they brought him back out, brought Brady back out. Um, but, again, there's ability there. So do you bring in a veteran and try to continue to develop Stidham on the back end? It'll be interesting to see. And then everything else after that, it's, you know, it's, it seems like the same position. Defensive line, I think offensive tackle, uh, I think cornerback is another spot. Wide receiver, they've got to get better weapons. If it's a different quarterback, you know, Brady struggled for the most part with rookies because he expects, he expects more. Um, but if it's a younger quarterback or a different quarterback, that what they do could change slightly and, and maybe a, a rookie could come in and have some success in the first couple of years. So I think, I think finding perimeter help, they need to get faster wide receiver. They need to get faster corner and, and more athletic. Um, offensive line, they need to continue to bolster that group. But, but ultimately for the Patriots, it, it really comes down to, to Brady and what, what's our future? Where are we, where are we headed with this thing? Hey, Todd, uh, Isaiah Simmons from Clemson, uh, a lot of people already consider him to be a top 10 or top 15 pick. So his running that that four three nine forty at the combine, did it help his draft stock at, at all, or, or you know push him up any further, or was it just kind of a a thing of kind of uh, reinforcing what everybody all, already knew? And then part two of the question would be, did any of the other Clemson players like Tanner Muse or Kayvon Wallace or, or AJ Terrell help themselves at the combine? Yeah, it, was, it certainly didn't hurt. <laughs> Let's put it that way with, with Isaiah Simmons. It certainly did not hurt. Um, I think we all knew he was fast, but that's a different level, man. I mean, that, you're pumped if you're a wide receiver at 5'11 and a half, 200 and, or, you know, 198 pounds running a 4'39. And then you talk about Simmons, who was 6'03, 5, so 6'3 and a half and almost 240 pounds running that time. And it, that's, that's just different. That is a different level. So I, he can still improve in terms of getting off of blocks. Um, is you know he can be a quarter count late in terms of recognition skills versus the run sometimes. But the dude can play. I mean he's sideline to sideline as a linebacker. He can play in the box. He can play as that overhang, covering up a tight end in the, the slot, bigger receivers, those kind of kind of guys. And then the Ohio State tape was, I mean, just to watch him go from that single high safety to the sideline, 30, 35 yards, whatever it was, track it down, go up and get the ball and, and take it away. It really shows you that the versatility is unique 
And Brent Venables did a phenomenal job of utilizing that versatility, but you, you got to have that skill set in order for your coordinator to be able to, to utilize it. So I, I think he's, he fits today in the league perfectly. And I, and I think he's going to be a, he, he allows you to be multiple. And that's what so many coordinators are looking for now because of the way the game has changed, how many three, four, five wide receiver sets there are and how much tempo is being added to the, to the game now. And, and I, it's so much more out of the box than it is in the box in terms of, of style of play in the league that, uh, that you need players like this that can stay on the field. And I, that's why Simmons to me, he, he's a top 10 pick, whether it's the Giants at four or one of those other teams, um, Carolina, Arizona, Jacksonville, somewhere in that range, he, he's going to be a top 10 pick. Hi, Todd. You've written that uh, Chase Young, too, is one of the easiest picks on the board. Uh, I'm wondering if you were running the Redskins, though, would you give any consideration to taking two of there instead, and why or why not? Ah, yes, I would. I would, and I would have, but I would have to know on the have to have a lot more information on the medical. But if if my doctors were saying that he is progressing and he is going to like, it's just not. We don't forecast it being an issue moving forward. Then, yeah, I would, I, I would, I would think long and hard about passing on Tua Tagovailoa. Because if he's healthy, and I know he's going to be healthy, I I put him right up there with Burrow, and I, I've said before I would I would lean Tua over Burrow because I think he's I think he's special. I think both these guys are special, obviously. Um, but I, the problem is the the problem is the reality. The reality is Daniel Snyder is not going to let that happen as the owner is what I understand, and he thinks Dwayne Haskins is the guy, and they're going to build around him and see where they can go. So. Whether that's true or not, we'll find out. But um, but clearly, Daniel Snyder has a history with the Haskins and and loves them, and they they as an organization brought him in, and and they want him to be the guy. I think he can be developed. I think he can be a solid starter. I just think Tua, if if I knew he was going to be healthy, I, I think that Tua is going to wind up being a, a better quarterback, and it's the most important position in this game. And it makes up for more sins than any other position. So if you have an opportunity to upgrade that position, how do you not? Now, Chase Young's special. And Chase Young has a chance to be a 10, 12, 15 sack guy annually. And outside of quarterback, pass rusher is the, the number two position in terms of value in the league right now. So, so he's absolutely worth it. And I would have no problem taking Chase Young at two. I'm just saying, if I knew Tua was going to be healthy, I would take Tua because I want to upgrade that position. Uh, back in the summer, you had said you thought that Justin Herbert's decision to return was going to pay off for him in the draft. You thought his accuracy was too erratic. Uh, his accuracy and efficiency went up this year, but I know you're down on him compared to Jordan Love, whose <laughs> accuracy and efficiency went down considerably, albeit because of a lack of talent and guys who left Utah State this past year. Just wanted yep. you to expound on your thoughts on did this year pay off for Herbert like you thought it would, and if not, why you have him behind love as you do? All very fair points. All true. Herbert, Herbert's a good player. I mean, I've got him going 13. I could see him going 12 to the Raiders. It wouldn't shock me if he goes ahead of Jordan Love. It's obviously taking on a, a life of its own because of Mel and I and our bet for the V Foundation. Um, but and, and there are people in the league that, that think Herbert's better. There, 
more people that I've talked to think love is better, but that doesn't mean it only takes one team. And there, are, again, there are multiple people that I've talked to in the league that thinks that think that Herbert's the third best quarterback in this class. So it certainly didn't hurt him. I think he has continued to mature and has continued to develop Justin Herbert. That is in terms of his leadership. Um, he's just he's not naturally extroverted. He's an introvert. He admits it. Um, but they've worked on it. And if you're on the field with him and you see his teammates, how much they rally around him, you know that he's a competitor and the guys around him love him. And that's, I mean, as long as you're successful, nobody, nobody cares, but that's an added element to it. So I, I think Herbert is going to wind up being in the first half of the first round. It's probably very likely. Uh, and I don't think even if he goes a few picks later than he may have gone a year ago, and that's all speculation. It's easy to say now that there were some people that thought he was a top five pick last year. Yeah, I got that, but that doesn't mean he was going to be a top five pick last year. You know, so I think what he did by going back was he continued to mature mentally, and he was more efficient. And you know what? It's shown off in the in the pre-draft process. He won the MVP at the at the Senior Bowl and had a great week. And he was, looked really good at the at the combine, and you know it, I just think he's more equipped now than he was a year ago. And whether that's two, three picks later or earlier than he might have gone a year ago, and that speculation, I don't think it matters because what's really important is when you get to the league, are you ready? You're walking into a huddle with 35 year old grown men who you know you're providing for, and they need to make sure that that guy who's pulling the trigger is able to provide for them and keep them in the league so that they can they can put food on the table if you will. So uh, it's a it, you got to be ready and if you are ever going to make a ton of money if you look on the you know if you're just evaluating it you've got to get to that second contract and I think Herbert is a much more equipped today to get to that second contract as a starter than he was a year ago no matter what the speculation was. Hey, Todd, I've got kind of a big-picture question here that combines free agency and the draft. I'm wondering if I look at the top ten this year, it's all quarterbacks, tackles, and pass rushers, and I'm wondering if that's the way teams need to approach top ten picks from now moving forward. Like, Because I'm looking at Jamal Adams, I'm looking at Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, they're every bit as good as advertised, and here we are three years in talking about should they be re-signed the top of the markets at free agency for those positions? Are they worth it? So I'm wondering, why do you pick a guy in the top ten if you're not going to resign him based on position in four or five years? We need to treat top ten picks from now on as just quarterbacks, tackles, and pass rushers. That's a really smart question. I love that. Here's the difference. Resigning, look at the money that you have to put out and, and the, the cap hit, more importantly than if you draft a running back or a safety in the top 10. When you draft these guys in the top 10, it it just doesn't, it doesn't hurt your cap that much compared, you know, just comparatively. But five years later, if you're talking about a running back who's taken all these hits and, and, you know, there's an outlier every once in a while, like a Frank Gore, but usually after 30, these guys, the dips significantly. And then what you're paying them in year year six through ten is so much more and hurts your cap so much more than it did when you when you drafted them in the top ten as a rookie, you know. So that's the difference. So you you can get away with drafting anyone anywhere, 
if they're a special player, but it's when you go to re-sign them, is the value still going to be there? And are you worried that three, four years later that you're not getting anywhere near what you got from the first five years? So while, yes, quarterback, defensive end, offensive tackle, I think most times you would prefer those positions over some of the other positions. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's where the league's going. And you want to be able to resign your own guys too for continuity. But it's a lot easier to, to dole out the money as rookies in that, that first contract than it is that second contract. I think that's, that's kind of what you're seeing. But, you know, Joe Douglas came out and said that, that Jamal's going to hopefully it'll be a, a jet for life. And so if, if you, he's a special human being, just like Saquon's a special human being and has, brings a lot of leadership and competitiveness to the, those teams. But yeah, you got to get the other positions right if you're going to turn the corner. And I think everyone in both of those organizations are, are well aware of that. Yes, Todd. Uh, other than, than Chase Young and Jeff Okuda, could you give a sense? of any Ohio State players who either helped or hurt themselves at the combine? And also, can I sneak in a question about uh, Purdue linebacker Marcus Bailey, who had another major knee injury that that, uh, ended the season very short? J.K. Dobbins had a good 40 time. I don't have the whole list in front of me. Um, But, yeah, J.K. Dobbins, I mean, you look at all these guys, I think I have 12 or 13, let's see, 1, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 13 Ohio State players with grades that are either draftable or priority free agent. And I and 11 of those guys are in the first five rounds in terms of my grades on them. So, like, Devon Hamilton had a really good year this past year, but was only a one-year starter because it's really tough to get on the field as a defensive lineman at Ohio State, you know? Uh, KJ Hill, he's, to me, he just, he's a better player than probably Tester. Austin Mack is going to be, I think, one of the underrated receivers in this year's draft class. I don't care what the 40 yard dash is sometimes. I just think these guys are good football players. Uh, Hill in the slot, Mack, when he's healthy, he had the injuries and, and some other issues, but he, you know, when he's on the field, especially late in the season when they needed him, that dude stepped up. I liked watching his tape. I liked walk, watching K.J. Hill. Um, Hamilton, I mentioned. Arnett at the cornerback position opposite Okuda. Some guys have day, day two grades on Arnett, Damon Arnett. So there's a ton of talent coming out of that place. There always is. And, um, and I, you know, Dobbins probably stands out if you're asking me the one guy that helped himself that is not named Okuda or, or Chase Young. But um, But this is a really talented group. I was curious about a couple of Alabama guys. Um, you know, first off, how much do you feel like, or or did Henry Ruggs help himself with the the four two seven and some of his other you know the jumps um, at the combine and guys like Jared Maiden, some of those defensive backs. Obviously, Xavier McKinney had his uh, injury at the combine. How much do you feel like those guys can help themselves at the pro day uh, next month? Rugs ran, Rugs ran the only 427 in the history of the combine that might have been met with a little bit of disappointment, you know, <laughs> just because of the hype. But he's such a stud. I mean, he's in a, in a group of receivers that has four potential first round picks in, in this year and next year's draft. He was the alpha dog. He, he loves playing special teams. He, he'll block. He had one drop catch, one drop past the entire season last year. 
usually when the the four two reset four two seven receivers, those kind of guys are, you know, they inconsistent catching the ball, maybe some divas, speed, you know, one trick ponies, and he's anything but. So, I think it's going to be interesting. There's some people who like like rugs ahead of Jerry Judy, who I've already said is the best pass, a uh, best route runner, I should say, that I've evaluated in 20 years of doing this. McKinney on tape is so good. I know he had the injury, but Xavier McKinney is, you know, from the leadership he brings, the intelligence he brings on the back end, to his ability to play in the slot, in the box at times when they needed him because the, the linebacker situation was uh, depleted due to the injuries and, and guys leaving early. Um, and then being able to play single high and two high safety. I mean, he, he just, he does a little bit of everything. And that guy, I mean, he fills so hard. And usually when you see guys shot out of a cannon from single or double high safety spots, they miss tackles and take bad angles. He doesn't. He's going a hundred miles an hour, but then has the, the body control to break down, wrap up and get guys down in space, which is so important at that position specifically. So, you know, every year it's the same thing. I just talk about Ohio State, but with McKinney, Jedrick Wills at tackle, Jerry Judy, Tua Tagovailoa, Trevon Diggs, who was inconsistent at times, but is so physically gifted as a former receiver with ball skills. You got uh, Ruggs, who we talked about, Anthony Jennings, Terrell Lewis. It's just, it's insane how much talent, uh, Alabama has, he's talking about like nine, ten guys that could go in the first three rounds right there. So, um, they were well represented, let's put it that way. 